0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper Keeper podcast. Your host, Greg, will have smart discussions with friends, experts, and thought leaders on customer experience, transformation, and leadership. Please follow this podcast on your preferred platform. I am sure you will enjoy the next episode with the guest I selected for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of the CX Goalkeeper Podcast. Today, I'm really thrilled because I have Diana Arvis together with me. Hi, Diana. How are you?
1: Hi, Greg. I am awesome. How are you doing?
0: Very well. I am super thrilled to have this nice discussion with you speaking about a really interesting topic driving cultural change and the intersection between brand purpose, CX and EX. But as usual, before we start the game, we would like to learn more about you. And therefore, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So I am Diana Avis. I am um, a business coach and CX consultant. I uh, was in the corporate CX world for 13 years before um, leaving to go independent uh, in 2022.
0: Thank you very much and you are a member of Women in CX and thank I am you.
1: I'm a member and a huge huge fan it's such an uplifting network like uh, especially as a solopreneur i found it like to be very lonely and as you know cx can be a lonely profession anyways because we're like swimming against the stream and so i've just found it so so helpful um you know in the process of you know starting my business to be part of that and then also just to continue to up level my CX learnings all
0: the time. Yes, and also thank you very much to women in CX that have the opportunity to interview members of this outstanding community. I'm super thrilled. I already had three discussions. They were really mind blowing and therefore super keen to kick off this discussion. But before we, we, we continue, um, perhaps we would like to learn a bit more about you. Which values drive your life?
1: So, my values, I would say um, my number one value is integrity, which is basically being, um, being, showing one consistent face to the world, you know? So, um, I think that's really, really important to have that alignment between what's important to you on the inside and how you act. So, not changing who you are depending on who you're around. Um, and that means, I mean, integrity also means that not everyone's going to like you, because when you show up as yourself, then you aren't, um, you aren't changing yourself all the time. So that's also something you have to make peace with is not, um, you know, accepting that not everyone's going to like you. Um, and then I think my other values are, um, I don't know what, what word I'd put on it, but I think compassion, wanting to help other people, I think it's um it's very important in life to also give back and not just focus on what the world can give us, but how we can help other people.
0: Thank you very much. I think these are great values that are also in common with uh, our profession and are really relevant. Uh, Let's now really start the game speaking about driving cultural change, the intersection between brand purpose CX and EX. And perhaps really to kick off and to start understanding uh, this topic, how do brand purpose, CX, and EX intersect to drive to drive change?
1: Yeah, so I feel that brand purpose is what overarches all of CX because you have to know what kind of experience you are designing for. So, like a McDonald's restaurant has a very different experience from a Michelin five-star restaurant. So you have to first know what is the purpose that you're trying to fulfill along the customer journey. And so my starting point for CX is always really drilling down into the purpose and understanding, is that clear? Do they have the right purpose? How well is that understood throughout the organization? Um, And that's where the employee experience starts to come in, because sometimes you'll find, you know, maybe a brand has an amazing purpose, amazing marketing, is attracting customers, but then their actual delivery on that is not living up to what the brand is selling people. And that tends to come through not because people are wanting to do a bad job, but because they think that they're there to do something different. So their idea of the purpose is something different. So um, one of the things that I find really helpful is to do lots of voice of employee qualitative research as part of the CX process. And then what you can do is then say, look, the voice of the employee is showing that they think their purpose is this, and you are saying your purpose is this. <laughs> so there's a gap here. So, um, so that's kind of how they intersect.
0: I really like this, this view. It's, let's say, simple, but it touch all the actors, the company, the employees delivering experiences, and the customer buying products or, or services. And I really feel your passion for this topic. May I ask the question, where does this passion come from?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've always been really driven in this area. It started when I started working in customer experience. In um, an engineering company, it was heavily B2B, and there were lots of different elements involved in the change. So I, w- I was just a customer services administrator, you know, nothing too too lofty. But I found that so many of the things that my customers were needing were um, reliant on, like, the supply chain or the logistics. And so straight away, I had an intuitive understanding that the customer journey wasn't just about me as a service person, but that it was about how we all... Um, delivered on that. And so I was that annoying person in the office who would like literally go over to someone's desk and like sit on their desk until they resolved the issue. Um, and then I started thinking, how can I do this on a larger scale? Because obviously I could do that one customer at a time. And I was doing that and, you know, achieving really good results for my individual customers. Um, but then when I really um, started to love it was when I got the opportunity to leave, to lead larger projects and to drive that change on a larger scale so that we were actually working as an organization in a way that was more coordinated around what the customer needed. So I think kind of just being a bit stubborn and really caring about um, people, uh, stubbornness is also another one of my values, as funny as that might sound.
0: No, but I, I really like the story that, that you are sharing with us. And, uh, and basically, we really feel that you are living uh, what you are saying. Is there are perhaps an, an example, it can be one of your customers or some, somebody else, that you could, you could say this is really one of the best practices or one really great example of having this uh, ability to integrate brand purpose, customer experience, and employee experience?
1: Yeah, my favorite example is when I led a customer experience transformation at uh, Aviva. So Aviva are the largest insurance company in the UK, and I was brought in um, to lead their transformation for part of their motor insurance. So they own, um, the the scenario was this, Aviva owned their own group of uh, vehicle repair centers. So when a customer had an accident, um, if they were in an area that had one of Aviva's own repair centers, they would go to that repair center. But there was this disconnect between the Aviva brand and the repairer that they owned because the service was not at all up to the Aviva brand. And the Aviva brand is expensive, so it's not the cheapest in- insurance company. It's, it's more prestigious, um, and, and therefore people expect a higher level of service. So they had this disconnect, You know, high-level Aviva brand, number one insurer, being sent to this rather average garage. And so they were in the situation where they were either going to sell off this chain of repairers, um, which is called Solus, That was the name of their chain of repairers. So it was that bad. They were like, we're going to either sell it or fix it. And so they, um, uh, I got headhunted for that role. I thought, this sounds really exciting because it's basically a blank template, an opportunity to lead a full organizational transformation around the customer. And so the way that I approached that was, again, starting with the brand purpose. And so what I found there was... Um, their purpose was basically full of corporate jargon that no one understood. And so it was something like, you know, we are here to be a central fulfillment provider for blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was just word salad and it was up on the walls and it was like, it just was so meaningless. And so people couldn't even describe what it meant. Um, and so that's told me straight away, we needed to look at the very fundamentals of the brand and what that was for. So that was the very first exercise that we did was redesigning the brand And of course there's this misperception about what brand actually is because people tend to think of the aesthetics. They think of the logo and the colors. And so when I said, you know, we need to redo the brand, like I got people saying, Oh, I know this amazing graphic designer. And I was like, no, no, no. Like that is the last, last thing that you do. Um, and so again, we started the brand work with this voice of employee exercise to understand what does the brand mean to people? And what we found was that, you know, they were feeling uninspired. They were feeling overworked. They were feeling basically beat over the head by the customer. So the irony was that they had very customer-centric values. It was like customer is number one, customer always comes first. But the employees were feeling like <laughs> um, just completely overworked and run into the ground. So it, it really wasn't working. Um, and so we had to prioritize the employee experience you know, getting them a nice environment that felt uplifting so that they felt valued. Like little things like, you know, if there's not a tea room for people to have their break in, then they feel that, you know, their rest isn't important. And, you know, therefore they skip their lunch breaks and then they're frazzled. So just making sure, like, we've actually got a dedicated space for people to have a break. Um. So So anyways, there was lots of stuff that came out of the employee experience side of that. Um, In terms of redesigning the brand, what we found was that it was very important to integrate it with the wider system of the customer journey. So this repairer, Solis, was part of Aviva. So really it needed to be integrated with the Aviva journey. So we went back to Aviva to understand their purpose and then we um, basically aligned ourselves with that, which sounds so obvious, but they just sometimes you just need to zoom out a little bit. And so the purpose changed because originally people thought, my purpose here, you know, working at this repair is to repair cars. And it sounds logical, but it was actually completely wrong. That wasn't their purpose. Their purpose was to get a customer who had been through an accident back to normal so that they could live their normal life, whatever that is. And part of that is understanding that normal is different for every person. So there's not a one size fits all solution. So, you know, sometimes that means being able to transport, you know, like a um, their disabled mother and having her wheelchair, you know, be able to fit in the car and all of that, or, you know, taking their kids to school or maybe they've got a dog or maybe they're going on holiday and therefore they need a certain, you know, size of car. All of these things. Um, so we, long story short, we changed the purpose. It's not about jargon. It's not about fixing cars at all. It's about getting people back to normal, and treating them as individuals to understand what normal means to them. Um, so, so I mean, I could go on and on for hours about this, but that's the, the kind of long story, the, sorry, short, long story made short. Um, and mm-hmm. as a result of this, um, we, gosh, we ended up um, increasing profits quite a lot because we were able to repair cars more effectively, because teamwork went through the roof, people were aligned, they were collaborating. Um we were opening new garages, which was pretty incredible to secure the investment to do that. Uh, and then we ended up winning the CX Awards. We won five CX Awards, including overall winner at the um at the UK Customer Experience Awards. And they're still, I mean, you know, since I've left, they're still in an awesome position and going from strength to strength and have been um becoming even more closely integrated with Aviva and now um are driving change across the rest of the motor industry, really shaking it up.
0: Thank you. I think the the story is really interesting, and you you explain very well um, all all the, the the steps that you went uh, that you went through together with this company. But I think in these steps uh, during your your journey of this transformation, you encountered also obstacles. And uh, could you perhaps share one or the other obstacle that that uh, that you encountered, and how did you cope with with this with this challenge?
1: Yeah, I would say that the big biggest obstacle. Opti- obstacle that we encountered was pressure to deliver on the like financial and operational targets, which was driving certain types of behavior that made people want to deprioritize the customer because they were being seen in opposition. So, I mean, we essentially had regional managers who were under heavy, heavy pressure from like the operations director to hit these numbers. We have, you know, it's it's a top down thing. Aviva gives us a target. You have to repair this amount of cars, make this amount of profit, et cetera. And so everyone's focusing on that. Um, And the result of that was that they were thinking that the customer kind of wasn't their issue. They were like, my job is to deliver on the numbers. It's someone else's job to deliver on the customer. Uh, And so part of this work was also positioning CX, so that people saw that it was everybody's responsibility. because the tendency is, you know, especially first of all, and especially as a woman, because people by default see you as like the secretary or the, you know, the person to delegate to, it was like, oh, Deanna's the customer lady, so give it to her. And so there was a lot of education, like, uh, you know, people trying to chuck issues my way, and then me kind of coaching them in terms of how they could use this as a leader, so that their team could succeed, so that they could succeed. And, you know, of course, achieve their operational targets and all of that but it's that's that's the approach i found most helpful it was like look i could try and fix this for you but you're going to be even better off if you have this skill set and then if you succeed and then once they start getting the positive reinforcement from that because this did have the profile of you know like the attention of the md the senior leadership team then they started thinking oh it's quite nice when i get a pat on the back for having done this right and then they start to care so it becomes self reinforcing
0: Thank you, and I think this is this is really interesting. Coaching people, helping people, and empowering them that they are then able uh, to to drive this transformation. And you share also um, in the previous answer that you achieved also financial results. But basically, always also senior directors want to understand where do you stay in this, in, in this transformation and how are you progressing? And therefore, which, which metrics can or should companies use to measure the progress of this, of this transformation?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think one thing that's really, um, that I found really helpful was uh, the concept of lead measures versus lag measures, Um, It's uh, because we use system thinking a lot um, in, in Aviva. So basically, the lead measures are the things that are actionable, so the operational things that people can actually do something about that impact on the lag measures. So for example, a lag measure is an output. So um, profit is a lag measure. You know, revenue is a lag measure. Customer satisfaction, net promoter are lag measures. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is setting a target on like net promoter score or customer satisfaction. And then what happens is that it's like the tail wagging the dog. It's just instinct. People want to shortcut that. So they do really weird things like, so behaviors I saw... Back when when I started and people were um, bonused on net promoter score was they would try and massage the figures. So they'd say, oh, that net promoter score is not valid because blah, blah, blah reason. Can you please take it out? Or they would, you know, only invite certain customers to answer surveys. And they would mysteriously, you'd see email addresses mysteriously disappearing from customers that had been unhappy so that they couldn't get a survey. Or you'd also find that they were leaving things in customers' cars saying, please rate us a 9 or 10 if you were happy with us. And that is my biggest pet peeve by far as a CX professional. And um, it's so common to see this kind of score begging. And it it completely invalidates the data. It's completely meaningless because you're telling customers what their opinion is. So you may as well not bother asking. Um, And so... So anyways, that's my long rant against um, focusing on lag measures. What you should do is understand what is impacting customer satisfaction. So I did a a lot of analysis on that, primarily um, verbatim analysis and also qualitative analysis through voice of customer um, interviews and quantified the themes that came out. And and so basically quantified, um, these are the topics they're talking about. The sentiment was positive. In this percentage, the sentiment was negative. In this percentage, and then you can compare, um, and and basically prioritize the things with the the largest negative sentiment, um, and those are the things that you should be measuring.
0: <laughs> Thank you, and I really like how you're explaining that the different types of, of measurement. In this transformation, I think one additional important topic, and you shared that, uh, mentioning your role and uh, what you did, but also the support of the top management. Uh, How does leadership shape this um, cultural transformation? How can they support this uh, transformation?
1: They have a humongous role, humongous role because leaders are the ones who shape the culture of the organization. And so, I mean, what's so empowering about CX is that you don't need to have CX in your job title to be a CX leader. I mean, you can do that and be in sales or be in operations. I've even seen CX leaders in IT when you have a very customer-focused IT person who really gets it and who's designing solutions around the customer. I mean, that is just so awesome. And I think that they enjoy it more, too, because they see the human element and the reason why they're doing it and how it all fits together. So... um, So there's that. There's the fact that anyone, no matter what function they're in, can be a CX leader, and you don't need permission to be a CX leader. You don't need it in your job title. The other part of it is just that culturally, leaders are the ones who are setting the tone. They're setting the priorities for people. So um, this is where it really comes down to the top. So what priorities is the senior leadership team setting? And not just what are they saying, but then how is that reinforced? Because it's one thing for them to preach, you know, it's very important to put the customer first, but then actually, if what's happening is the CEO is beating them because they haven't you know got a quick and round, a quick enough turnaround time, then there's that discrepancy again between their words and their actions. So that's another reason why integrity is so important in this work.
0: Yes, uh, indeed. I would have twenty additional questions, but we are uh, um, coming to an end of this game. I still, have, we still have some time. We have, we are in the extra time of this game, and, <laughs> and take the time to answer this question because I really like the way that you are positioning your your answer. Uh, what are the key leadership lessons you have learned throughout your career that you would like to share with the audience?
1: Key leadership lessons. I think that. The first lesson I've learned is is, um, tenacity. So basically having the guts to go for things, even when um, maybe it's not popular or people don't get it. Um, So I think that quite often in my career, I've been in a position where CX is new to an organization. There's a good intention, but there's not an understanding of what that actually means. So my role as a leader is to be able to influence you know laterally and upwards and downwards, so irrespective of level and position um, and to really kind of create a movement so that's that's one of my leadership approaches it's very very much not about um you know command and control or even you know reward and punishment or anything like that it's how can you inspire people so that CX becomes a movement or so that whatever you're working on you know whether it's brand or employee experience so that that becomes a movement because then it's um people are wanting to do the right thing rather than you forcing them to do it
0: um thank thank you very much and um in 10 years from now we are back on the cx Goalkeeper keeper podcast what we are discussing about
1: yeah that is a great question i feel that i mean it's really nuts how much um, technology is changing things. So we've already seen how um, robots are sometimes able to impersonate people better than people can impersonate people. So I think that this technology theme is gonna continue um, to accelerate really. So I think we're gonna keep having to kind of niche down so that we can show the value that CX has because the tendency is for people to want to go digital, right? Because there's this cost cutting tendency. You can automate everything. I saw that when I was at Aviva, at Aviva as well. But um, while it can look great in terms of efficiencies and numbers and on paper, the effect on people is very. Um, I think it's very different, and it has an effect, especially when you look at different profile, different demographics of people, and um, just when it comes to like inclusion and all of that. So um, so I think just being mindful that technology is not a replacement for humanity. It is here to h- enhance humanity.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, what's the best way to, to contact you?
1: The best way to contact me is um, through uh, LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn as Deanna Avis, or you can send me an email to Deanna at starfishcx.com.
0: Thank you very much. I think you are the only one solopreneur not sharing throughout the discussion what you are doing what your services. Can you please elaborate a bit also for the audience if somebody would would really understand what you're doing because it's intriguing.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. Well, you caught me at an interesting time because I'm actually at a little bit of a pivot in my um you know solopreneur journey. So when I started off um in May 2022, I was focusing heavily on CX consulting and so I was doing Um, just lots of different aspects of that. So brand strategy, um, qualitative research, um, and and that kind of thing. But I've also, I mean, I I don't think I mentioned I'm a leadership coach um, and and, um, a business coach, and I really love working with um, one-on-one with people in that way. So I'm doing a couple of things at the moment. I'm focusing on coaching CX leaders. So um, basically because I've been there, I know what it's like to – lead CX projects and to build it from the ground up. So I really, really love working with people in that way. So that's one strand of my work. And then I also coach entrepreneurs on building a business. And that's where all of the, you know, the brand strategy and the customer focus comes in, because you can get people building things in a human centric way from, um, from the start.
0: Thank you very much. And now we are coming to the last question. Is Diana's golden nugget, it's something that we discussed or something new to leave to the audience?
1: Yeah. So my golden nugget would be to, um, this is going to sound, I don't want it to sound cliche because it's really, it's really important. It's to follow your energy and your passion because there's a difference between being good at something and being energized by something. So for example, in my career, there were times when I was heavily in like a business analysis role, and I would spend eight hours a day with my head in a spreadsheet. And I was very good at that. I can be very analytical, but that's not like my zone of genius. So sometimes I think people end up kind of feeling a bit trapped because they found something that they're really good at, and they feel they have to do it, even if it's not like giving them life. And so um, like, If you take one thing away from this, it's like, go explore what your strengths actually are. And your strengths are that intersection between the things that you're awesome at, and they give you energy. You know, the more you do them, the more energy you have.
0: Thank you very much for this uh, uh, incredible golden nugget and for the outstanding discussion. Diana, it was really a great pleasure to have you on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you ever so much. And thank you to everyone listening
0: and uh, also thank you very much to women in cx in particular to claire mascott for making this possible and please diana stay with me to the audience it's everything we love feedback please contact Diana if you have any questions related to what we discussed uh, look at our webpage and thank you very much bye bye if you enjoyed this episode please share the word of mouth subscribe it share it Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human environment. Thank you!